Today's episode is episode 203. Today I'm going to talk about objective experience. So today I am going to mention some points, talk around some points about objective experience. In the last episode I talked about subjective experience and on today's episode I'm going to talk about objective experience. So with objective experience the main thing I'm describing here in this episode is living in the world as an object. So in subjective experience, it's more from the point of view of first person perspective, your experience with life, your how you're viewing things, how you're interacting with the world. This episode though is more about being an object in the world. So that me that's more in terms of how other people view you. It sounds very dehumanizing to think about it this way it's, I think I think subject and object are a big thing in philosophy to describe the human experience the duality of it and it, it does sound quite dehumanizing when you use the word object for human beings like in in the world today you'll hear of objectification which is a real thing and but the thing is we're, we're all viewing each other as objects even if we don't overtly say it. I think when you have more of an intimate relationship with someone that you know them quite well, there's less of a feeling of being perceived as an object in it because they understand more of the detail to your life. There's less of a tendency to generalize you. But in general, world today, it is how we survive, I guess, in big societies, big numbers of people, there are concepts that help us to generalize things and as a result we have this subject-object duality. So the first point I want to talk about is things. So objects as things. So this is living in the world, in the capitalist world, and wanting to get on well in life and to have a decent standard of living but not getting consumed in it. That's the balancing act here, the fine balancing act. Over the years, I've noticed in psychological and personal development type of communities, there sometimes can be a tendency, I think the term of spiritual bypassing, where you fixate so much on your spirituality and your consciousness and the non-material world that that starts to consume you to the extent that you don't even see the quality of your life suffering as you focus less attention on objective experience living in the world of objects so there's a balancing act here that i've been trying to navigate like any other person over the years i think there's a, another thing that used to kind of get me and it still does to some extent but it was this idea of self-service self-sacrifice that put other people's needs and desires above my own to see i didn't know what i was getting from that but what I was getting from that was just always a sense of being a good person. It felt moralistic. Until I started, I don't think I consciously worked on that, but I think it's been over the years as I've been doing things that don't make sense to a lot of people. And it's helped, it's forced me to not do things for other people. And in doing that, I noticed how much of me feeling like a good person was intertwined 
with that. So I would have noticed that, especially when I started the happy mindset, and my focus was so much on other people and improving their lives, and giving them the tools and and giving them the tools in terms of thinking to help them improve their lives. My focus was very much like that at the start. But then, as I realized that a lot of people weren't listening, or it was hard to find people who were interested, I suppose it forced me to realize that the real transformation anyway is transforming myself. And whoever's interested, they'll find me after a while. But the primary thing is to transform my own life. And this has been part of it. It's been having focusing on the things in the world, giving them enough focus and attention that I can still have a decent quality of life and at the same time not be consumed in it, having this perspective that there's more to life than just this objective world of objects. So the next part I want to talk about is the canvas. So this is a metaphor that you've probably heard before. I'm going to give my own type of take on it. So first off, you've got subjective experience. This is when you're a blank canvas. You can think about this when you come into the world as a baby, you've got no concepts in your mind that filters your experience of life. So that's the blank canvas. Then you've got the objects. So again, come back to the canvas. The canvas is already painted by society and the environment you're being brought into. And that consists of the objects you see on the canvas. Then the goal is, the goal here, with the balance between subjective and objective experience is to not get lost in objective experience and forget the fact that you started life as a blank canvas. It's combining both. So I suppose I'll just take my own life experience. So I only really started to realize the importance of subjective experience in my early 20s. I kind of little bits of awareness before that but not to the extent that I knew there was something more profound to the subjective experience. So in my life there, it's I lived a, a vast portion of my life on the surface of the canvas in objective experience until I realized there's something deeper to it. There's a subjective experience. And then as I move forward, it's combining both. So subjective experience is blank it's nothingness it's space it's the moments where you feel connected to something that has just a sense of calmness to it that's the way i would describe it it's it's tapping into a feeling within you that doesn't feel covered over with concepts it's when your mind feels open and receptive and you don't even know what you're receptive to that's what i would describe as connecting to a more subjective experience. I think the power then is in using that receptivity to something new, to new thoughts, new ideas, and then creating something with that objectively in the world. So, for example, books are an objective manifestation of that. So your receptivity of the subjective invisible world is channeled through a book or through a podcast, or through some medium that's objective. I feel that's... Combining the two needs to happen. Otherwise, you've just got an invisible space that will feel good, but there's nothing occupying the space. 
I suppose there's probably merit to that. But I think it's it's more powerful when you've got objects that are created from the space because it gives people a place to go to. So for me, for example, because I've got objects in the form of a microphone and a computer, it gives me a space to go into a room, record this. I know that this is my time now to speak, speak out my subjective thoughts and have conversations with other people who want to express their subjectivity in the objective format then of a podcast. That's where I think where the magic is when you combine the two of them together. And then even think about that in your day-to-day life and your relationships with other people. I found the quality of my relationships has improved as I've allowed space in the conversation. So in that scenario, it's space in the form of not assuming conversations have to always go a certain way and assuming a little less about what I know about the person in front of me, what their interests are, who they are, what they want to speak about. That's been challenging because you are questioning your ingrained assumptions about someone or about the setting you're in, like what sort of conversations could come about in that setting. That's very relevant, especially in like a business world, business setting where there is a tendency to just feel dehumanized, I guess, because it's, it's people are there in the service of making money and in the business world, to make money oftentimes requires taking out the human emotion so you can look at facts more objectively then, which is very challenging. That's 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 part of the dynamic here. If you're living in a capitalist world, the nature of business is to take out human emotion and focus on facts and logic. And that is how you make progress. So it's not even... I wouldn't even say that's right or wrong. It's just that is how it is. Whenever you bring in emotion to business decisions, or just even if you bring emotion into your learning style, so as a programmer, I have to learn new things quite a bit. And if I'm bringing my emotion to it in the form of feeling frustrated, I don't want to do it, that all gets in the way of learning, makes me less efficient, and slows me down. And that, because I'm human, that is a reality I have to face that, that sometimes it does get the better of me. But that's the canvas anyway. That's that's the points that I wanted to make there. Then objective-oriented programming. Actually, this will tie into just what I was talking about there with programming. So there's many different paradigms in programming. Objective-oriented programming is one of them. It's based around designing a program that's based around objects in the program. So for for us to have objective-oriented programming, there needs to be an ability to clearly define objects and to allow us enough detail to understand what an object is and then to have abstractions and generalizations that help us to create instances of those objects. So objective rational thought is visible in programming. I think this is part of why I got into programming. I think my first love is of psychology and philosophy. 
so understanding the human experience and trying to understand human the human experience and because that's so subjective sometimes it it can it can be difficult to feel like you're making any progress or like that you're just going around in circles all the time and there's no end to it like possibly what life is to be honest but then with programming that gives me a place where systemized logical human thinking takes place so it helps me to explore the limits of that thinking over time also because that is something that i would question myself that i don't know where i am on the spectrum in terms of feeling like there's a lot of things in this life that are unexplainable that aren't logical i don't know I don't know whether I am overestimating that or underestimating it. So I don't know how much of things are actually logical, that they do make sense if you look deep enough. So I think that's what programming helps me to explore a little more. Because when you're in the programming world, you have to come from the assumption that things are explainable. There's a reason behind why something isn't working. And there's reasons behind things. There's logic behind the whole thing. Because you're dealing with a human system. I guess... Like the level I'm at as a programmer, I'm dealing more with... Using systems that have been created for me in a a situation that's specific to me. So it's not like I'm creating new systems. I think those types of people would even... would, Would have a would have a good idea, they'd have a better idea of where the edges are when it comes to how far human thinking can go into understanding life in the world and the human experience. So that's object-oriented programming. You're never going to see subject-oriented programming as a paradigm because with subjects, it's too ambiguous. You could never build a human system, a systemized way of thinking with subjects, because it's just highly ambiguous. Where do you start? The whole purpose there with objects is to be able to have a blueprint, to have some sort of logic, clearly defined behaviors and variables and different things you would see in programming. They can only exist if something's objective. I And the other thing with objective experience is that there are things in the world that that we can see and we can agree upon. So, for example, if you went to a bar tomorrow and a fight started out, a fight started in the bar and there was other people in the bar who saw the same thing, you would all agree on the fact that a fight happened. So that's the objective thing, the objective fact. Where it gets into subjectivity is when it comes to things like how do you think it happened, why did it happen, those type of things, that's where it starts becoming very ambiguous. Even though if you're talking to somebody who doesn't appreciate subjective experience, they think all that stuff's objective because they really put weight in their own experience and they think that other people should view things as they see them. And that's not how life works. Like witness, witness testimonies to things and just different things in life. You'll see that people have varying different perceptions on, a, on experience. But with that example there, Everybody could agree upon that a fight happened there. 
if a punch was thrown or, or whatever it's um that's the objective thing and that's the balancing act in society there are things that are real and objective in society i think it's a matter of how much are you overestimating the things that are objective and how much are like are you overestimating it and to what degree or are you underestimating it and to what degree that's the exploration process i think and the last thing I want to talk about is the arbitrary side of objective experience. So when people talk about objectivity and facts and all this, it can give you the perception that it's concrete, that objectivity is a concrete reality that can't be argued with. And I would argue that there's an element of truth to that, like I just described with the bar fight, there's something happened and we can all agree upon that we can categorize it as a, as a fight, but there's a lot of variables around it that we can't agree upon because in order for us to agree upon that, we would have to have all, we, we'd have to all have complete information on how that event happened. And that's not going to happen in the real world. So the arbitrary side of objective experience. So I'll just tie this back to living in a world where the reality is that people will view you as an object in terms of they'll categorize who you are. Are you male? Do you like football? Do you exercise? Do you watch video games? Those types of things. When somebody finds out things like this about you, they'll have a certain way of looking at you, certain objective way of looking at you that doesn't take account of all the other details and nuances to your life. A good example of this is that if you were, so none of us that I'm aware of consciously chose the place we were born or the environment we were brought into. Maybe we chose it in a different dimension, a different life. But in this life, I haven't met a person who was consciously aware before they were born that they chose this environment. So this is where the arbitrary thing comes in here. So you didn't choose where you were born, the environment you grew up in, and all these things shaped how you thought of yourself because you were an object in that environment. So if you grew up in an environment that didn't value the things that your true personality does value, then it will have an influence on how you view yourself. So you could be somebody who's got a big interest in books, a big interest in travel, big interest in languages, kind of describing myself at this stage. You have all these interests. You grew up in an environment where you didn't know anyone who shared those interests in a deep way that you could actually have conversations with them. Then what can happen is when you're in social settings then because the things you're truly interested in were never encouraged in you, they were never developed in you, and then the things you're not interested in, they don't come to mind so easy. Topics of conversation don't come to mind so easy because you really have to force it. And it feels weird. It feels kind of stunted. You could start internalizing the idea that you're just a quiet person because when you're in social settings and people are talking about other things that you're not really interested in but you have to try and force yourself to, to ask questions about or you could start internalizing the idea that you're just a quiet person, you don't, you don't, you don't, you're socially awkward, you don't kind of, can't talk to people that easily. And 
that might not be true at all. You might actually be a very a very good conversationalist. You might have a lot to say. You might be a great listener. But because of the objective experience you're brought into, and it feels like a concrete reality at this stage because you spend so long in that environment, you you haven't the contrast, you don't know what how else it is to live, then like that arbitrary experience could become a life sentence until you like travel or meet other people or so really start doing things for yourself, really taking the time to get to know yourself, what are your true interests. And you could discover an entirely different person. You might discover that you're actually a very good conversationalist, you're very good at listening, and people find you very interesting. And in the other experience, you could have been the most boring person, you could have been really quiet. And if you'd never questioned it, you might have just thought that that's just the way you are. That's that's the whole thing. Because you, you just never had the opportunity to see that, see the arbitrary side of objective experience. I think that can happen too when like when you're living in a small town your whole life. I think it will become, you can feel like a concrete reality, the way people live in that place, that this is a concrete reality and it's just a map for the rest of the world. And your fear can kind of hold you back from moving outside your town and seeing some of the rest of the world and meeting other people. And I suppose it's not that easy because what you're carrying around with you is deeply ingrained in you, your assumptions about the world, your assumptions about other people, and it, it does affect how you come across the people. So if you grow up always thinking you were quiet and boring, then you will be possibly more timid around even new people because that's you've had so much experience of that, it's hard to break out of that. I think a recommendation I have for that is it, it's really focusing on doing the inner work, you know, seeing a therapist, journaling, self-care. It's like self-care in the sense of actually having your own back so i'm not talking about self-care in the sense of going on a holiday and kind of going some retreat or whatever which are they're, they're useful but self-care in the sense of like committing to the idea that you actually want to like yourself the type of person you are and even though if you you might feel right now that you you don't you don't like yourself and you don't know why just committing to the idea that you want to like yourself and I suppose you're willing to face the fears within you and just again the difficult kind of feelings and the different traumas you've gone through I, I think that's a that's what can wake you up then to the arbitrary side of objective experience because as you do inner work on yourself show up a bit more honestly in your life then this objective experience this arbitrary objective experience you start to gradually see it for what it is. It's not as terrifying to you any, anymore. It's not as concrete anymore. And that's where you can actually help people. Like The more you actually see through some of the falsities in life, the things that were holding you back that weren't tangible, concrete realities, that's where you can really help people. And I think that at the start of this podcast, I mentioned that when I started off doing all this stuff, I was so focused on helping other people and trying to help them improve their life, that I'd overlook the fact that I still really needed to help myself and like myself, because I couldn't help those people anyway, because I wasn't in a position. I could help them to an extent, I guess, like, but I could only help them to the extent of where I'm at. So I just realized that if I focus on myself 
and just up leveling my own thinking and and I suppose getting to know myself and facing my fears my the feeling fears that I have that's the best path to helping other people is through that path and that's it I think that's what I wanted to talk about today it's the objective experience hope you got something from that and that's it so thanks again for listening and I will speak to you on the next episode